Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by The Queen. Queen Garnet, that is. The Queen Garnet is a Queensland-owned variety of Japanese plum that is naturally high in a particular type of antioxidant known as anthocyanin. Queen Garnets boast antioxidant levels 3 to 20 times that of other plum varieties thanks to their high concentration of anthocyanins. This is a natural antioxidant that gives some plants their rich, vibrant red, blue and deep purple colouring. Although the fresh Queen Garnets are now out of season, there are four wonderful value-added products in the online Queen Garnet store. There's a plum powder, an Australian plum nectar, a probiotic and prebiotic powder, and a probiotic chewable. Head to queengarnet.com forward slash shop and use my 15% off discount code, which is Leanne15, to save some dollars. This week's podcast episode is with Sophie Marnie, who is an accredited practicing dietitian and has worked in the health industry for over 10 years, with three of those years being as a dietitian. Sophie has her own online consulting business specializing in gut and mental health and has just launched an online program helping people optimize their diet to improve their energy, mood, anxiety, and gut health. Sophie also works in research at the Food and Mood Center as part of Deakin University and is currently assisting with running a dietary trial for people with irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety or depression. On this week's podcast episode, Sophie and I chat about the Mediterranean diet, food and mood. We first start by discussing how diet affects our mental health, what nutrition and lifestyle factors we can use to improve our mental health, the research behind a Mediterranean-style diet, what a Mediterranean diet looks like, who would benefit from following one, and some simple tips for improving our mood and mental health. You can follow Sophie on social media. She's at Listen to the Dietitian, or visit her website, which is sophiemarnie.com.au, or check out her new program, Happy Guts and Mind, on her website as well. Welcome to the podcast, Sophie. I'm really excited to have you on today, chatting all about the Mediterranean diet. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne, and I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. And I've been following your journey for a while. Sophie, you actually came and spoke at my women's health event that we ran up here in Brisbane and did such a great summary of the Mediterranean diet and why it's so important in food and mood that I remembered in the back of my mind, I was like, I have to get Sophie on one day to have a chat about this on our podcast. So everyone all around the world can listen, especially those who weren't able to attend our event in Brisbane. So we're very lucky to have you on today. I'm very excited. Could you start by telling our listeners just a little bit more about yourself, a little bit of a background, um, the things that you like to do on a day-to-day? basis? Yeah, so I'm an accredited practicing dietitian and I'm based in Melbourne and I've worked in the health industry for about 10 years or so and consulted with clients as a dietitian for about three years. And I've recently taken the leap into running my own online business, specializing in helping women improve their gut and mental health, which I absolutely love doing. And I also work in research at the Food and Mood Center, which is part of Deakin University. And I'm working there as a dietitian on a trial looking at a specific diet for people with irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety or depression. Wonderful. And you're originally from Brisbane, aren't you? And you made the move down to Melbourne um, for the job at the Food and Mood Center. 
Yes, that's correct. So I don't think many people could say that they moved to Melbourne during the pandemic last year, but yes, (laughs) I was one of them. (laughs) Well, hopefully now that things have started to open back again, you get to enjoy some of that amazing food and coffee that they have down there. Absolutely. Yeah, already doing that (laughs) so far. Wonderful. And then, Sophie, what made you interested in this area of like gut health, food and mood, and that connection between our gut and our mental health? Yeah. So I started working as a receptionist for a team of dietitians, not knowing at the time that this is what I would end up doing. And I started noticing client after client becoming happier after seeing a dietitian and improving their nutrition. And this wasn't just anecdotal. Results from our mental health surveys consistently showed a really clear trend for improvements to depression, anxiety, and stress for clients pre and post their health program led by the dietitians. And ultimately, this was really inspiring and I decided I wanted to become a dietitian because I could see the impact that changing diet could have on health and happiness. And that's when I started studying. And it wasn't until I asked advice from a colleague about some really specific strategies I could advise for a client who had severe anxiety and depression. And she actually told me about this new research area called nutritional psychiatry, which is the link between mental health and diet, which the gut plays a really huge role in. And she told me about the Food and Mood Center and I went onto the website and I was just immediately fascinated by what they do. So you can imagine I was pretty excited when I got a job there last year. And what I really love about this area of nutrition is that it focuses on a whole foods approach to eating. It's non-restrictive, it's flexible, it tastes good, and importantly, it's sustainable in the long term. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess it was quite early on in your studies, or was it even before you started studying that you realized that you wanted to come into this area from working as a receptionist in that clinic? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was always there in the back of my mind. I love that. Yeah. So in terms of the evidence, Sophie, you would know from, um, I think you mentioned you listened to a few of my podcast episodes, that link in terms of evidence-based science that we have with our diet and our mental health. Is there strong research at the moment that supports our diet um, and how that affects our mental health? Yeah, so it's becoming stronger and stronger. And I guess a lot of the research started off with observational research and it was showing that populations with better quality diets had lower rates of anxiety and depression versus populations with poorer quality diets had higher rates of anxiety and depression. And that was sort of happening over the last decade or so. We were seeing this research come out, but it's only been fairly recently that we've had the best quality clinical trials called randomized control trials, which have actually proven that diet can change mental health. Amazing. Yeah. And RCTs, um, randomized control trials, they are what we would call the gold standard in terms of research. So to have some of those backing what we've seen from an observational standpoint is really powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we definitely need those randomized control trials to actually prove that there's a cause and effect with diet and mental health. Whereas beforehand, we didn't exactly know that. We could just observe that certain populations that ate a certain way had um, lower rates of mental illness. But Sometimes it's hard to tell whether our diet can affect our mental health or if it's vice versa, whether our mental health can affect our diet. Because I think most of us know that when we're not feeling good, we tend to make poor food choices as well. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I, I understand that even within my own body and my own journey, um, when I'm not you know, feeling my best self, it's sometimes when I'm traveling or sometimes when I'm out of my own routine, I'm not meal prepping as much. I'm ordering in a little bit more, just being more busy and more stressed than usual, put it that way. Definitely. 
So from a nutrition perspective first, what sort of things influence our mental health um, purely from a nutrition perspective? So you don't need to follow one specific diet to optimize your mental health. So research from across the world in different countries, cultures and populations have shown that following a healthy traditional diet, whether that be Mediterranean, Scandinavian or Japanese, is associated with a reduced risk of depression and anxiety. And although these diets may seem quite different, they actually have many things in common. So they generally include plenty of whole foods, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, legumes, and healthy fats coming from fish, nuts, and seeds, as well as minimal amounts of ultra-processed foods. And on the other hand, what's called a Western diet, which is common across developed and increasingly developing nations, is linked with this higher rate of depression and anxiety. And a Western-style diet is typically high in processed foods, refined grains, salt, saturated fats, and added sugar. Definitely. Yeah. So not one, um, I guess, particular diet, as you mentioned, you know, as we like to say in the Western world, follow this diet, follow this diet. It's more of that style of eating, isn't it? Rather than Absolutely. that rigid diet perspective. Definitely. And you mentioned that research supports us in terms of um, nutrition, providing a positive influence for our mental health. What can we do from a lifestyle perspective in terms of our mental health? Because I know myself that if I don't get enough sleep, my mental health suffers almost immediately, you know, the next day or two. So are there any lifestyle strategies that the research is sort of showing us that can actually positively influence our mental health as well or alongside nutrition? Yeah. So apart from diet, the leading lifestyle factors that influence our mental health include physical activity, which I think most of us will be aware of, but we know that regular exercise is associated with improved quality life and it does have antidepressant effects. Sleep, as well as you mentioned, that's a really important one for mental health and not just for the prevention, but also the management of any current mental illness. Mm -hmm. Stress management too. So we know that long-term stress can increase the risk of mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. And as well as that alcohol and drug use, so not smoking, limiting, but not necessarily completely avoiding alcohol and of course, avoiding illicit substances. So all of these factors are really important for mental health. So much so that the Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, they updated their clinical practice guidelines for mood disorders last year, and they actually listed lifestyle factors, including diet, as the foundation for treatment of mood disorders, which is so wonderful to see how these lifestyle factors are now being recognised. Yeah, that's so incredible when we were able to work sort of across disciplines, you know, alongside doctors and psychiatrists, you know, with dietitians and with exercise professionals, because mental health isn't something that you need to just focus on one strategy, is it? There's so many things that we can do in so many professions that can be helpful when it comes to our mental health. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And diet isn't the only thing, obviously, that affects mental health. I think some people can be occasionally a little bit critical about, you know, um, diet being the only thing that can affect mental health. That's certainly not what I'm saying. It's just that we do know that there is a link there and it's modifiable as well as these other lifestyle factors. Absolutely. Yeah. I love to think of health as holistic, which I'm sure that you do as well. And I always say to clients, you know, nutrition is important, but I ask them about their sleep. I, I focus on how they deal with their stress management, how they're recognizing their emotions and dealing with them. Are they exercising because it makes them feel great, not exercising to burn off their calories? So we really want to think about that or our health as that holistic marker rather than, um, you know, just that in silo with it's just what we put in our mouth because that's simply not the case, is it? 
Yeah, definitely. It, it encompasses all of those other aspects that are important for our health. Mm. And I was just thinking, as you were mentioning, um, some of those lifestyle factors, particularly alcohol, um, anyone who's followed me for a while, yourself probably included, knows that I love to have a glass of wine occasionally. I wouldn't say that I'm a, you know, I'm a big drinker, but on a Friday or a Saturday night, if I go out for a nice meal, um, I like to enjoy that with a glass of wine. But I remember when I was a lot younger, you know, 18, 19, I would go out clubbing with my friends like most young people do, and I would have more than a couple of drinks. Um, I would probably have far too many. And the next day, I always remembered the impact that had on my mental health. I remember some days waking up and just feeling so down. And I was like, why do I feel so down? Like I, I had a great night out with my friends. We were dancing all night. Like it was so much fun, but I just felt down and I couldn't put my finger on it until I actually got to uni. And I remember some of that research around, it was still probably very, very emerging. You know, I was at uni 10 years ago, but that link between alcohol and that being a depressant. And what people don't understand is, is that very fine line between enjoying a drink and sort of having too many, isn't there, when it comes to um, some of those lifestyle factors? Definitely. And alcohol can have a positive effect, but um, it can also have a negative effect, as many of us are aware in what you just described. But small amounts appear to be beneficial for mental health for some people. But as you said, there's a fine line. And when we drink too much, um, which many of us are, then it can negatively influence our mental health overall, but also just day to day and how we feel, you know, after having a hangover, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's been a tough year, hasn't it, with the pandemic. And I, I do get a lot of people reaching out to me saying, you know, I am actually struggling with the amount of alcohol I am drinking because I'm at home. I'm not able to go out and socialize. A lot of people are drinking a lot more because it's been a really, really stressful year. So listeners, if you are listening to um, Sophie and our discussion today, um, perhaps alcohol is something that you could um, just start as a, as a starting point in terms of cutting down on gradually to improve just your, your health and your mental health overall. I think that's a great place for a lot of us to start coming off the back of what was a really, really tough year for a lot of people. Definitely. Yep. Now, Sophie, I'd love to chat to you around the Mediterranean diet because I know that it is one of those diets that has a whole heap of research behind us. And I know as dietitians, we hate that word diet, which is kind of funny because it's in our name, you know, diet dietitian. But a lot of people have a really negative um, thought process when it comes to that word diet. So we're going to use it on the podcast today when we're talking about the Mediterranean diet, not from a rigidity and a dieting standpoint, but just from a like a structure and a framework perspective. So in terms of the Mediterranean diet, um, it does have what we would call like gold standard research behind it for a lot of um, health conditions, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And nutrition science is a constantly evolving field with research updating us every year, it seems, with what we should and shouldn't be eating. But there is one diet that's sort of stood the test of time and proven itself over and over for its health benefits, and that's the Mediterranean diet. So studies into the Mediterranean diet and its potential health benefits, particularly for heart health, were first published in the 1980s. And since then, it's become the most extensively researched diet in the world and has been associated with broad health benefits. And its link with mental health started with observational studies, so a large research paper which combined the results from multiple studies on the topic found that higher adherence to the Mediterranean diet was associated with a 30% reduced risk for depression. But as I said, a lot of this previous research has been observational, so it's difficult to sort of tease out whether symptoms of depression or low mood or anxiety can cause these poor eating habits or if poor eating habits are causing mental health issues. And recent studies have actually confirmed this theory that changing your diet can improve your mental health. 
So a study done at the Food and Mood Centre, which was called the SMILES trial, was the first in the world to show that when you improve your diet, your symptoms of depression can also improve. So the study included adults with moderate to severe symptoms of depression and researchers randomly allocated participants to either the diet group or the social support group, which is another proven psychological therapy. And they did this for 12 weeks, as well as continuing any background treatment that they were already receiving, like medication or psychology support. And the social support comparison group was used to tell us whether these changes in the symptoms of depression were due to the effects of the social interaction, which happened in the diet group, or due to the diet itself. And the diet group were instructed to follow a Mediterranean-style diet, And what they found in this group was pretty remarkable and way beyond their expectations. So they found that almost one third of participants in the diet group had full relief of their symptoms from depression versus only 8% of those in the social support group. And those who had higher improvements to their diet also had better improvement to their mental health. That's incredible, isn't it? And I just, I love the name of this study, the SMILES trial. Like how (laughs) could could that name be any better? Yeah, it's brilliant. (laughs) And from what I understand as well, um, looking at that research, it was conducted here in Australia, which is very exciting for us Aussies. Um, But I'm sure that I read or I heard this somewhere that it was so effective in terms of the dietary strategies and the approach that they used that they actually stopped the control group and also gave the control group the the Mediterranean style diet as well. Was that correct? I don't think so. I don't know know about that, but they probably would have received the diet at the end of the study. At the end of the study. But yeah. there's okay. definitely been um, Mediterranean diet studies that have been done in the past, particularly for heart health, that have actually had to stop during the intervention. And the group who weren't receiving the dietary information were actually provided with that Mediterranean diet advice because the changes between the groups were just so significant that from an ethical point of view, they couldn't actually continue with others following another dietary pattern. Yeah, that's so powerful. That was probably more what I was sort of remembering was more referencing the cardiac studies maybe rather than the um, the studies around depression and mental health. But that's it's significant, isn't it? And just for our listeners at home, I think we have mentioned this on the podcast before, but the participants within that trial that had moderate to severe depression were actually still on their antidepressants, which is a thing I think is really important to reference at home. So if anyone is listening to this, whether you yourself, you have friends or family who are um, you know, suffering with depression, it is really important to still ca- stay in contact with your doctor and continue on your medications even though you are trialing some um, dietary interventions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So diet should be the foundation, as I mentioned before, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will replace other therapies. For some people, perhaps that could be the case, but um, it's always best to seek advice from your GP or psychologist or psychiatrist before changing any um, treatments. Yeah. So when we think about a Mediterranean diet, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that term or have heard that um, or sort of maybe seen that online. Some are saying, you know, trial a Mediterranean diet. What does that look like when we think about it from a food perspective, Sophie? Like what does a Mediterranean diet look like if we were to put food on our plate? Yeah. So there are lots of different variations of the diet because of important differences in the types of foods and the tradition across the Mediterranean countries. But all versions of the diet include plenty of plant-based foods, so vegetables, fruits, legumes, whole grains, nuts, and seeds. They also use olive oil as their main cooking fat rather than things like butter, coconut oil, or other vegetable oils. Mm -hmm. And along with these plant-based foods, the Mediterranean diet also includes fish, dairy, meat, and alcohol. And this is mostly red wine during meals. And they also have a very small amount of ultra processed food. So things like sweets, ice cream, ready-made meals, deli meats, etc. 
So there is actually a validated tool in many research studies that's used for measuring if you have a Mediterranean diet, which you can complete by going to my Instagram link in bio or website to see how closely your diet adheres to the Mediterranean diet. Wonderful. And that's such a simple tool that people can um, use in. How long does that take? Just a couple of minutes or? Only five minutes or so maximum. Oh, wonderful. And so if you drop your Instagram handle for our listeners. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is uh, listen to the dietitian. The dietitian with two T's is spelt in Australia. Okay. Wonderful. So that's D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N for our um, other worldwide listeners. <laughs> exactly. And then in terms of thinking about the Mediterranean diet, you mentioned that depending on where people live, it has sort of like a little bit of an influence based on their countries. Obviously, we're over here in Australia. What would you say would be the differences between our Australian dietary guidelines and those um, guidelines for a more Mediterranean style diet? Yeah, great question. So some of the differences would be the amount of healthy fats coming from extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds. So the Australian Dietary Guidelines state that we should be having between 14 to 40 grams of unsaturated spreads or oils, nuts and seeds per day, whereas the Mediterranean diet includes about 60 mils of olive oil, which is the general amount that's consumed, plus at least three servings of nuts and seeds per week, being about 30 grams a portion. So as you can see, the Mediterranean diet does incorporate more of these healthy fats. However, the Australian dietary guidelines are currently undergoing a review, and this may change in the next version. There's also slightly less dairy. So the Australian dietary guidelines recommend between about two and a half to four serves a day, depending on your age and gender, whereas the Mediterranean diet is a little bit less at about two serves a day. The protein sources in the Mediterranean diet are a little bit different as well. There's more of a focus on legumes, fish, white meat, so chicken and turkey, rather than red meat like beef, lamb and pork. Whereas the Australian Dietary Guidelines don't emphasize any particular type of meat. With the Mediterranean diet as well, they do have higher quantities of whole grains, fruits and vegetables. And finally, they also have lifestyle recommendations included in their dietary guidelines as well. So interestingly, the word diet actually comes from the Greek word dieta, which means a way of life. And this recognizes that the Mediterranean diet is much more than the foods eaten, but also how they eat as well. And these lifestyle factors are really key components of the Mediterranean diet. And they're often listed alongside their dietary recommendations on food pyramids of Mediterranean countries. And research shows that these elements are really important for the health benefits of the traditional Mediterranean diet. And this includes things like using plenty of herbs and spices and lemon in cooking versus salt or bottled sauces or flavors and dressings, eating meals prepared at home rather than restaurants or getting takeaway, eating locally and seasonally, as well as eating with others at a table. I love that emphasis on um, lifestyle factors as well. And I remember oh gosh, it was probably a few years ago, I was actually reading the Brazil dietary guidelines. And I remember reading them and it was like, use fresh herbs from your garden, cook a meal and take it to your neighbor. Like there was a real community aspect to eating. It was like, don't sit in front of the TV or sit in front of Netflix and eat your dinner. It was like, cook a meal and invite your neighbors over, you know, enjoy the food with your family on a Sunday brunch. Like I love the feel of the community aspect. And I think that's so important, A, for mental health and B, just to ensure that we are using, you know, lots of flavors and lots of whole foods and, and getting everybody in the family involved in the cooking and the process and not just, you know, reheating a frozen meal in the microwave and, and sitting down to watch Netflix at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on with all of that. 
Yeah, I wish Australia would implement lifestyle guidelines um, alongside our Australian dietary guidelines too. I feel like as a nation, we could absolutely have more things to focus on rather than just purely nutrition, hey? Yeah, and not just about the food that we eat, but of course, how we eat it as well is super important, as I've just mentioned. And then in terms of the Mediterranean diet, now that our listeners at home can picture more, um, I guess, what it looks like from a nutrition perspective, who would you say would benefit from the Mediterranean diet? So we've talked about mental health. We've talked a little bit about cardiac. Um, Are there any other areas or people or populations you think would benefit from following a more Mediterranean style type diet? Absolutely. So the strongest level of evidence for following a Mediterranean diet is, as you just mentioned, and we've spoken about for heart disease, for the treatment and prevention, as well as for type 2 diabetes. It's also been shown to be effective for the prevention of many types of cancers and as well as that protecting against neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia. So I'd say that anyone who enjoys following the Mediterranean diet and sees it as a long-term sustainable option would benefit from following it, which of course is one of the most important things because if you don't enjoy it, then it'll be really hard to follow in the long term. But also you're more likely to gain the health benefits from following it long-term rather than just a couple of weeks. And what the research shows is that it is a very easy diet to follow, especially in the long term, unlike many other diet trends. Mm, absolutely yeah there's lots of enjoyable things within the mediterranean diet you know myself a glass of red wine is lovely using you know some extra virgin olive oil and some you know different spices and herbs to jazz up our vegetables um really really great ways of cooking and styles and that sort of thing as well i think the emphasis on me for one i love seafood and just healthy fats as well um is really important and for me gives me satisfaction with what i'm eating as well so we're looking for that fullness and that satisfaction when we're eating aren't we not just um eating in terms of because I have a lot of clients that say to me, I feel full, but I don't feel satisfied after my meal. And sometimes just a simple addition of carbohydrates um, and some whole grains or some extra healthy fats to our meals can provide that satisfaction from a dietary perspective. Definitely. And as you just said, you know, feeling satisfied after eating a meal in terms of your fullness is quite different to the enjoyment satisfaction that you can get from eating. So there's lots of people that would obviously benefit from a Mediterranean style diet. Is there anyone that should be avoiding or anyone um, that probably shouldn't be following this style of eating? Well, it's been so vigorously tested in many different types of populations over the last couple of decades, and it's shown benefits for a range of those health outcomes that we've spoken about. So there's not really anyone who should specifically avoid following a Mediterranean diet. Although it would be considered a fairly low-risk diet to attempt on your own versus, say, diets like intermittent fasting, with any new diet, it's always best to check with your GP that it's safe to do so and also getting individualized advice from a dietitian to ensure that you're meeting your nutrition requirements as well. In particular, I just thought if people are on certain types of medication that, you know, need to be taken with food or shouldn't be taken with food, probably best to touch base with your GP or at least a pharmacist to make sure that there are no sort of... um, food and medical interactions there. Definitely. And then in terms of, I guess, there's a lot of things you can focus on from a Mediterranean style diet. Is there anything in terms of avoiding, you did mention um, limiting things like ultra processed foods from a Mediterranean style diet approach. Is there anything else um, that we should look at avoiding or limiting when we're trying to follow a Mediterranean style diet? Sometimes people can perceive that a Mediterranean diet includes foods that they may see in Italian or Greek or Spanish restaurants. And sometimes, but not always, restaurant meals are generally celebration type foods. And these are not the kind of foods that are consumed daily in the Mediterranean diet. So for example, things like 
fried foods, saganaki or halloumi, lamb, gyros, fatty cuts of meat, that kind of thing. So my recommendation would be to ensure that you're following a traditional Mediterranean diet based on those foods that I mentioned earlier. Another thing that's important to remember is that even though it's called a diet, it's not about cutting out calories or restricting foods like many other popular diet trends. And also, if you're thinking of trying the Mediterranean diet, then it's really important to incorporate those dietary changes slowly. I think that many of us can be really guilty of telling ourselves, we'll start on Monday and we'll be perfect with our diet. And as with any changes to habits, the same goes for the Mediterranean diet. So try to do those changes slowly. And this is important, not just from a long-term sustainability perspective and maintaining those changes, but also the Mediterranean diet is really high in fiber, about double the amount that Australians are getting on average per day. So if you try to aim for perfection immediately and you have lots of changes to make, then it's quite likely that you'll get some short-term uncomfortable gut symptoms from increasing your fiber intake so quickly before your gut has time to adapt. So when you mentioned a lot of the eating out and restaurant style Mediterranean foods, you're thinking maybe my favorite halloumi fries don't quite fit within the Mediterranean diet pattern. (laughs) It's all about moderation. So you can definitely (laughs) include them, maybe just not every day. (laughs) Yeah. And so the Mediterranean diet is very much uh, what we would call like a plant food or a plant focused approach, isn't it? Definitely. It's very much a focus on plant-based foods with smaller amounts of those animal-based products as well. And for our listeners, um, perhaps you're new to the podcast or you haven't gone back and listened to previous episodes. I actually did a, um, a great episode with the ladies from The Biting Truth and we talked about a flexitarian approach to eating. So it was very much focused on plant-based eating. So not having to be 100% vegan or 100% plant-based, but just really incorporating that flexible style of eating that you might have one or two plant-based or vegan meals a day. And then you can still have a small amount of you know animal-based protein if that's something that you enjoy as well. So we definitely don't have to be in the I'm 100% vegan camp or that I'm 100% not, there is definitely some gray area in between that we can enjoy a flexible style of eating and also a style of eating that still supports and is in line with the Mediterranean diet. Definitely. Yeah. It's not a fully vegetarian or pescatarian style diet. There is still those smaller amounts of animal products. So for example, the fish, dairy and lean meat. But they do definitely also have, you know, vegetarian style, a lot of vegetarian style meals within the Mediterranean diet, don't they? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. And then um, as I understand the research that was conducted in Australia with the SMILES trial, um, they sort of modified that to be more of an Australian type Mediterranean style diet. Is that correct? Yeah, so with the SMILES trial done at the Food and Mood Centre, their version of the diet was called the ModiMed diet. So although it did still closely resemble the Mediterranean diet, there were some changes that they made, and I can go through just a few of those. So they did increase the recommendation for lean red meat. So the Mediterranean dietary guidelines are around 65 grams a day, whereas the ModiMed guidelines included this for about three to four times a week. And the reason for this was based on evidence from a study in Australia, which found that women consuming less or more than the Australian dietary recommendations for red meat were more likely to have clinical depression. And other changes were made to make it more easy to follow for our population based off what we're currently eating. And this included increasing the amount of potatoes and eggs eaten compared to the traditional Mediterranean diet and reducing the amount of fish slightly as well. Alcohol was also matched to more closely reflect the alcohol guidelines in Australia. And another small change that they made was to include reduced fat rather than full fat dairy. 
and they increased it to about two to three times a day to more closely match the Australian guidelines. Interesting. So when you say that the alcohol was matched to support the dietary guidelines, did that mean that compared to a traditional Mediterranean style diet, the alcohol came up or it went down? From what I understand, the alcohol guidelines were actually reduced slightly. Um, The Mediterranean diet includes alcohol consumption. It sort of tends to vary, but between about one to two glasses a day, whereas the Australian guidelines are for no more than 10 drinks per week. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm always a big fan of saying to clients, you should at least have, you know, one to two days off between sort of alcohol days. It's not a great idea to have a glass of alcohol every single day. Um, I think it is good to give our body a break because alcohol is um, somewhat of a toxin to our body and we it's just not something that we need from a nutritional health perspective every single day, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's not something that's necessary in your diet. Um, but as we know, small amounts of it are can be beneficial. Beneficial and enjoyable. <laughs> yes, exactly. For most of us. And then can you give our listeners at home, um, I guess, like an example or a description of um, what an Australian version of a Mediterranean diet might look like? Like what might somebody um, enjoy for their breakfast? I'm thinking, you know, some baked eggs with some cannellini beans and some veggies or something. But do you have a, a small example of like a breakfast, a lunch, and maybe um, a dinner recipe that we could, um, I guess, visualize? I'm such a visual person that I love to sort of put into practice. So I'm sure our listeners at home are thinking, oh, what could I do from a, from a lunch perspective or a dinner perspective tonight, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. So as you said, some sort of baked eggs with some cannellini beans is definitely something that you could include. Breakfast could be things like eggs on sourdough with some avocado or tomatoes, or it could even just be oats or muesli with some yogurt, nuts, and fruit. Lunch could be something like a beetroot and feta lentil salad, or it could be a tomato and tuna salad with some whole grains on the side. And dinner could be something along the lines of a baked fish with vegetables and whole grains like barley or whole grain sourdough, or even some sort of salmon pasta, that style of eating. Sounds delicious, my favourite. But I am conscious that some of our listeners at home, um, you know, just don't like seafood or like, you know, they just don't like fish or salmon, um, which I find hard to believe, but I know that <laughs> that does exist. Um, so what would you say for our listeners at home who are really, um, you know, they've, they're up to date with the research, they really, really want to follow this Mediterranean style of diet, but they just don't like seafood. Um, would you be recommending that they take something like some fish oil or something? If you really don't like seafood, there are still ways that you can get in healthy sources of fats from nuts, seeds, and olive oil. And in terms of oily type fishes, which are quite high in omega-3s, there are other ways that you can get your omega-3s in as well without having seafood. And that can come from walnuts or chia seeds or linseeds. Even tofu has a small amount of omega-3s as well. And some types of foods are enriched with omega-3s like eggs and some types of milk. Personally, I didn't like fish and I didn't start eating fish until I was in my mid-20s. So I can completely understand why people wouldn't like to eat fish, but you can gradually adapt to that if you include things that don't have as strong flavors. So you might want to start off with white fish rather than those oily types of fish, which tend to have a bit of a stronger flavor. Mm, definitely. And even I find that um, ordering it at a restaurant can be a great way to sort of ease you into that because um, salmon is dead set one of my favorite foods in the entire world. But as you were, I didn't actually start to really, really enjoy it until I was sort of probably around 19 or 20. And for me, it was really just the smell and having to cook it. Like it would, the smell would just go all through my house and my house would smell like salmon for like the next two days. And I was like, I can't deal with this. So each time I went out to a nice restaurant, I would always try to order a fish or salmon. And, you know, chefs always have a wonderful way of preparing it so the 
flavors just beautiful and it's always so much different to you know what I tend to cook at home so I think easing yourself into it um perhaps trying it at some restaurants cooked in different ways and different styles could be another idea as well in that way if the smell is something that's off-putting to you like it very much was for me as well and that sort of eliminates that smell wafting through your house for the next couple of days (laughs) yeah yeah and um you know trying things like fish mixed through with other dishes as well might be an easier way to do it as well so something like a a pasta with some fish mixed through might just help to disguise that flavor a little bit in terms of supplements so the fish oil supplements that you mentioned as well so there is some evidence around consuming fish oil supplements for the treatment of depression Um, it's quite specific in terms of how much to take in the type so it's definitely uh, recommended that you speak with a dietitian or your gp before commencing any sort of supplement Wonderful. And that would be additional to somebody, say, if they did have, you know, the recommended amounts of, say, fish oil, um, you know, oily fish, say, two, three times a week. Would that be in addition to or? Yeah, you could do it in addition as well, or you could do it if you're not consuming fish. But um, with any supplements, always best to check that it's safe to do so and if it's right for you. Definitely. Yeah. And then finally, Sophia, do you have any um, final tips for our listeners at home? Um, any other dietary recommendations that may help to improve our mood or our mental health? Yeah, so I guess there's lots of different ways that you can boost your mental well-being, particularly your energy and mood throughout the day, which people often don't realize is so closely related to diet and, of course, other lifestyle factors like sleep and movement. In terms of energy and mood, there are many important factors, including eating low GI versus high GI carbohydrates, avoiding skipping meals and being hungry all day, eating smaller meals more regularly can be helpful, and not having excess alcohol or caffeine. So all of these factors can influence how we feel throughout the day, especially after lunchtime when most people's energy seems to crash. For low mood and anxiety, the dietary information that I've just discussed today, not necessarily a Mediterranean diet if this doesn't suit you, but overall following a whole foods diet with plenty of those plant-based foods and minimal amounts of ultra-processed foods. And we know that this style of eating is linked to lower rates of anxiety and depression. And the nutrients that are common in this style of eating that are showing to influence our mental health include vitamins, minerals, omega-3 fatty acids, fiber, as well as probiotics. And this plant-based foods also seem to have a high amount of polyphenols, which are beneficial plant chemicals. And these seem to be linked with reduced rates of depression, potentially because of their anti-inflammatory, their neuroprotective and their prebiotic properties. So if you're constantly feeling tired or struggling to get through the afternoon, then I definitely recommend heading over to my Instagram where I share plenty more evidence-based advice and practical tips for how you can improve things like the afternoon energy slump, anxiety, low mood, and gut health. And I always post as well ways in which you can go about, including some of those key foods that I spoke about today, including legumes, whole grains, and omega-3s. Wonderful. And you do have some delicious recipes. So listeners, check out Sophie's Instagram, which is um, at listen to the dietitian, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, wonderful. And then finally, Sophie, can you let our listeners know, um, as I understand, you've got a new program, Happy Guts and Minds. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So it's just launched recently and it's a 16-week gut and mental health program and it includes weekly one-on-one support. There's also videos, resources, recipes, and more. So it's designed for people who are struggling with having the energy to get through the day or those suffering from low mood or anxiety, and also for those with uncomfortable gut symptoms. And I find it's so common for people to be experiencing the combination of gut and mental health symptoms, which I explained earlier how there is that link there. 
So I wanted to create a program that could target and treat both of these at the same time, especially for those who have gut issues, because often this leads to unnecessarily strict diets, which can not only affect your mental health, but also just your well-being and quality of life through cutting out so many enjoyable foods. And my program also brings together some of the latest research in the field of nutritional psychiatry to help people learn how they can become healthier, both physically and mentally. So if you want to find out more, you can head over to my Instagram or website. Beautiful. And um, with the program, Sophie, is it one-on-one with you or is it more of a group style based program? It's all one-on-one. So you'll get um, weekly support either through online consultations or email check-ins. Wonderful. And it's 16 weeks. So um, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you in terms of your website? And maybe if you've got an um, email address, do you do consultations online at the moment? Yes, I'm doing consultations online in addition to my program. And my website is called listentothedietitian.com.au. You can also visit my Instagram, which I mentioned, um, Facebook or LinkedIn. You can search for me under Sophie Marnie Dietitian. Wonderful. <laughs> all right, Sophie. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And listeners, I'll pop all of Sophie's um, handles and websites in our show notes as well. So you can head on over there and quickly click through and um, go and grab Sophie's social media handles and visit her website as well. And Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today chatting all things um, mood, gut health and the Mediterranean style diet. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from your listeners in, in case they have any questions at all about what we've spoken about. Wonderful.